Hey, I'm Jay Akunzo, and over the last seven episodes of this show, we've tried to figure out how people who do exceptional work, creative work, and meaningful work, how they always manage to do things that might seem to us like they're, well, unthinkable. There's just so much conventional thinking out there, and it's so incredibly easy to follow it. You know, you can just find your answers on Google, for example, that anybody who breaks from it seems crazy. But our hypothesis is that if we want to do more exceptional work, if we aspire to something bigger, better, or more authentically us, then you have to be an exception from all that convention, right? You're going to be exceptional, so you have to be an exception. And what makes every individual an exception is their intuition. It's their ability to think for themselves. So what is intuition? How does it work? And how can we proactively use it in our jobs? Well, that's what we explored over those last few episodes. And we've gone way deep into this topic of intuition. So if you haven't yet, go back and start your listening experience with the episode titled Our Journey Begins. Because today we're going one step further along this bridge we're building from average commodity conventional junk to exceptional work. And to find our next piece on this bridge, we have to travel to a place called Tinnenbach. Tinnenbach is a small municipality on the northern shores of the Philippines. Like a lot of the Philippines, a lot of Tinnenbach would feel familiar to you, assuming you live in the Western world. Teenagers congregate around huge strip malls, cars and motorcycles whiz by during rush hour, people obsess over their technology, and locals, both young and old, compete in pickup games of one of the area's favorite sports, basketball. But a few years ago, something terrible was happening in Tinnenbach. To understand that terribleness, a quick word on fish and specifically the importance of those swimming suppers to this region of the world. The Philippines are a collection of 7,641 islands, and the waters surrounding those islands contain almost 10% of the world's coral reefs. The country's position on the infamous Ring of Fire make it prone to earthquakes and typhoons, but along with that destruction, the country also benefits from some of the most abundant natural resources and biodiversity in the world. So as a result of that, the fishing industry is crucial. In fact, 91% of all fish caught in the Philippines stays in the Philippines. And according to the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, 70% of the total catch is consumed either fresh or chilled, so suffice to say, fishing is vital for both food security of local families and the economy of the Philippines. But a few years ago, local fishermen in Tinnenbach were headed towards disaster. Due to overfishing practices, they were harvesting more fish than the oceans of that region could sustain. In the 1960s, the average daily catch was 22 pounds. Today, that had dropped to just four. And about 10 years ago, one crab trap laid off the shores of Tinnenbach may have caught around 10 crabs in a day. Today, only one in 10 traps catches even one crab. Imagine waking up every day at 4.30 in the morning, piling onto this tiny rickety boat, navigating your ways through all kinds of open waters to find your crab traps. And imagine that you've built those traps by hand, 
75 traps in all. Hours of slow, meticulous labor, carefully selecting the right bamboo and measuring the metal rods and, and the size of the holes in the nets. Now imagine, after waking up at a time that most people never see, building a tool most people have never used, finding 75 traps buried in the ocean that most people could never find, imagine returning home after six hours of searching with four crabs worth selling. That was becoming the livelihoods of local fishermen. These fishing families had to travel further and further from shore, working longer and longer hours for smaller and smaller catches. And their home was becoming increasingly impoverished. And the response to all of that was to fish more, lean into some of the practices that created the problem because they need more fish. So they'd use dynamite, they'd use cyanide. It just made the problem worse. So if you're a conservationist trying to help the fish population rebound and as a result help the fishing industry, what in the heck could you possibly do? Well, what the average conservationist would do in this scenario is rely on an old concept from economics. It's called homo economicus. In other words, the rational human. This is the idea that humans make logical, self-interested decisions. So if you want to change their behavior, say around the environment, you have to provide the right incentives and punishments, carrots and sticks. So that's the conventional thinking, homo economicus. You know what would be totally unthinkable? Throwing that idea out the window. And that is exactly what Kathy DeMeza did. Now, we're not going to hear from Kathy in this episode, but I did want to tell her story. Here's the deal. Kathy DeMeza is a conservationist. Specifically, she worked for a global organization called RARE as a RARE fellow, somebody based in a local region that needed environmental help, and she worked on RARE's behalf as a contractor, though she later joined full-time. Anyways, Kathy and Rare knew all about Homo economicus when they started to address the problems of overfishing in Tinnenbach. But Kathy also knew all about the people of that area. She'd been to the malls. She'd watched the pickup basketball games. And she'd spent time actually talking to local fishing families. So she knew one thing to be true above all else. People are not rational. They're not self-interested creatures. People are social, emotional beings. Now that is what I'd call a first principle insight. That's the next step on this bridge we're building to use our intuition. A first principle insight is that basic but hard to reach truth about something you're trying to address, be it your audience, a market, or maybe yourself. A first principle insight is when you dig a little deeper than the conventional thinking. You ask why enough times and maybe spend time with actual people that you aim to serve, or perhaps do your own investigative research to uncover the truth behind the convention. A first principle insight is when you refuse to accept everybody else's best practices at face value. And as a result of having a great first principle insight, 
Kathy did something seemingly innovative. And I say seemingly, by the way, because really she just had the full picture because she started in a better, more fundamental place than everybody else with her insight. Her actions felt logical to her, but seemed crazy to others. Picture this convoluted maze that you're trying to get through in order to trigger some kind of result for your work. Everybody is going through this crazy maze, taking left turns and right turns and backtracking, and then they see you suddenly appear at the very end. They're going to think that you're crazy or that you're innovative or that you're a visionary. But all Kathy did was look to the left when everybody else was looking right, and she noticed a door that said, this way to the end of the maze. So... The full picture that Kathy saw, her first principal insight, was that people are emotional and social. So instead of lobby the government and rely on homo economicus as her guiding insight, instead she created what's known as a pride campaign. Basically, she created a mascot that symbolized the pride people had in their home of Tinnenbach. The mascot was a red grouper named Agaton, and Agaton appeared in plush form at local schools and community events or on t-shirts and flyers. He was the inspiration for the pride people felt in their homes, and the, the sea was a big part of that. So Kathy created all sorts of content like, like blog posts and YouTube videos and music videos and social media posts, and it all came from that one symbol, Agaton. And around that one symbol, Kathy and Rare were able to rally the community, and things got better. People actually changed their behavior, not because they were worried about being punished, or because they were incentivized with a payment from the government, although that did happen later. No, at first... They changed their behavior because they felt proud to live where they live. They felt proud of their home and their craft, their industry, their families, everything, thanks to this pride campaign. So people slowed their overfishing practices. They banded together and agreed to leave certain areas of the ocean alone so that the fish population could come back. Lots and lots of food here, so we eat all day. Today, 60% of local fishermen in Tinnenbach are reporting larger daily catches, and hundreds of other areas around the Philippines have requested Rare and Kathy come and help with their environmental issues. Globally, Rare has run pride campaigns in 56 different locations, with pride mascots ranging from dolphins to deer and everything in between popping up all over the world. And Kathy, well, she didn't trust the conventional thinking. She trusted her intuition. And the way she did so was to find a great first principle insight. In building this bridge from average commodity conventional junk to exceptional work, the first piece that we've explored on this show is the aspirational anchor. And that aspirational anchor leads you to build the next piece on the bridge, your unfair advantage. In other words, why you? What can you do to insert more of who you are into your work? But both the aspirational anchor and your unfair advantage are about you. With the first principle insight, you now start to focus on others or another situation externally. It's about the reality around you. The first principle insight, again, is that basic and hard-to-reach truth about the world. And by addressing that, 
You can be more innovative and creative all because you're starting in a better place than others. You know where you're going. I have my aspiration. I have my filter against all that conventional thinking. I know what it is about me that qualifies me or helps me or that I can insert into my work to achieve that aspiration. And I have this wonderful insight, this first principle that I've, I've captured or found about what I'm trying to do that, that others seem to have overlooked. First principle insights also lead to building another piece on the bridge, just as the aspiration did. And this second piece that comes with your first principle insight are your true believers. By addressing that fundamental truth, you can do something better or more effective or better built to solve a problem or fulfill a desire for somebody else. People aren't going to respond to yet another government order in the Philippines that won't really change their behaviors. But people might respond and actually change their behaviors to something that focuses on their emotions, their community, their pride. Kathy started out trying to get an action, and Homo economicus focuses on triggering the action, but it's not the first principle insight. Using her first principle insight, Kathy realized, look, if I want action, I should address pride, because pride creates purpose, and purpose inspires action. So you want to trust your intuition. Well, it starts with that aspirational anchor. That's where your intent for the future meets your hunger, your dissatisfaction with the present. You then take one step out over the edge, and that's your first principle insight, some kind of fundamental truth that you found about your audience, your situation, or even you. Next, you need to test that insight, and that's where embracing your constraints comes in, the third part of the bridge. You need to start small, even while you think big, in order to test quickly and learn and iterate. And into that test should go you, because you are your unfair advantage. And I think you'll find that if you add more of you to your work, there will be some people that believe in you, some true believers, either internally as key stakeholders or externally passionate fans, a small number of people reacting in a big way to what you do, not as final success, but as a signal of success, as a sign you're building something defensible. And if you lean in, you can ask the final question on this bridge, the final question to trusting your intuition to do something more exceptional. How does this expand from the initial constraints that led to something defensible to something expanded that seems exceptional? Doing better work is not a leap at all. It's a series of steps taken not as directions from me or anyone else or any expert you admire, but as a series of questions that you ask. Trusting your intuition is about answering those questions yourself, alone or with your team. It's not about purely following conventional thinking. Intuition is, after all, the process of thinking for yourself. So, in this information age, it has never been easier to be average. But it's also never been harder or more imperative that we aspire to be exceptional. To be exceptional, you have to be an exception from all that tempting convention. And the good news is, you already are an exception thanks to your intuition. But you have to trust that. You have to use that. You have to apply that to your work. 
So what if? What if the information age has a dark side we shouldn't ignore? Advice overload. And what if all the experts in the world are just starting points, not the final answers? And what if you stopped obsessing over everybody else's right answers for you and started asking yourself the right questions? Number one, what is your aspirational anchor? Number two, what's your first principle insight? Three, what are your constraints? Four, what is your unfair advantage? What is it about you? Five, who are your true believers, those passionate fans that give you signal you're on the right path? And number six, what are your means to expand from those initial constraints? How does this get bigger, better, bolder? That is how you turn an unthinkable leap into a smart bridge across. That is how you trust your intuition. Unthinkable will return soon.